Welcome everybody uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, in this session we will be talking uh, about a new framework and tools proposed by Austroads to help heavy vehicle operators and road asset owners make uh, clear and consistent road freight access decisions. My name is Ekaterina and I'm a communications officer at Austroads and I will be moderating today's session. Before we begin, uh, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to eldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Here's our structure. Uh, we use a program management approach to deliver our work. There are four programs and each is focused on an operational area of the road system. Oops, wrong slide. Um, so the project that we are uh, focusing on today was delivered under the uh, Transport Network Operations Program, uh, which is managed by Richard Del Place. And Richard is here with us today. Uh, he will say a few words about the program and this project. Welcome, Richard. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Ekaterina. Thank you for facilitating this uh, this webinar as always uh, and giving me the opportunity to say a few words. Um, the Transport Network Operations Program is, is focused on improving mobility of people and goods across the road transport network. From a freight perspective, the program aims at supporting efficiency gains in freight movement while ensuring safety and optimal asset protection. A core initiative to deliver on these objectives is to design best practice access decision processes and harmonize access assessment pra practices across jurisdictions where, where possible. Our audience may be interested to know that we will soon be launching two other projects to drive this agenda forward. First, a project to define the priorities and the structure of the freight sub-program. Amongst other things, this project will confirm and define our members' appetite for a national harmonization in access assessment. This project, uh, by the way, is, refers to, is referred to as NEF 6293 and is currently open for tender. Secondly, uh, we have a project uh, soon, coming soon um, to assess the options for a national heavy vehicle access assessment system that would automate access decisions consistently across all jurisdictions. Such system is obviously a longer-term goal, but our options and cost-benefit analysis is expected to lead key reflections and major changes on future access assessment. This specific project is referred to as NEF 6274 uh, and will be released to tender in the coming week or so. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, beyond the bigger picture, the, the project we are presenting on today constitute a key input into this upcoming and future work. Uh, the, the current project has gathered valuable inputs from our member agencies on how access decisions are made and what tools and processes are used by jurisdictions. It also puts forward a high-level decision-making framework that we hope will be of value to local road managers in particular, uh, who often don't have the same capacity and or capability as state and territory agencies in access decision-making. So on this, I'll hand over back to you, Ekaterina, to launch this presentation in more detail. Thanks so much, Richard. Um, and as usual, I have a few uh, more details uh, for our housekeeping today. Um, so our presenters will uh, speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A for 15 minutes. Uh, we record all our sessions and the video will be on our website after the webinar. Uh, you can also search for Austroads in your podcast app. Uh, the report today's session is based on and the presentation slide can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There is also a questions section there, so please use it to send us your questions at any stage of the webinar. Um, if you could note the slide number that your question relates to, that would be great. It would help us to answer your question as best as we can. Uh, also use that same box to let me know if you have any technical problems. Uh, just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So uh, leaving the webinar, closing the browser and rejoining the session using your registration link usually fixes that problem. 
And I'm delighted to introduce our presenters for today, uh, Drew Gaynor and Christina Chin. Drew Gaynor is uh, the principal consultant with Level 5 Design. Uh, he provides transport advice independently to government uh, and the private sector. Drew has 23 years of government and private sector experience in all modes of transport with particular reference to freight. He was Director of Freight and Logistics at the Western Australia Department of Transport uh, before moving to Main Roads Western Australia, undertaking strategic policy and planning projects in the Heavy Vehicle uh, Services and Network Operations Divisions. He then took up a position at ARB as the Principal uh, Transport Systems, undertaking several heavy vehicle access related projects. Christina Chin has been pivotal to the delivery of several heavy vehicle road freight and guideline development projects in Australia and overseas. She is now the State Manager, Victoria Principal Consultant for Level 5 Design. Christina has been in the transport research industry for 15 years and has extensive experience undertaking road research and industry consultation. So Drew and Christina will take us through the project background, uh, research and stakeholder consultation and gap analysis findings. And then Drew will talk uh, about the proposed framework and the recommendations developed as the result uh, of this project. So uh, very welcome to uh, both of you and I'm going to hand control over to Drew. Thank you, uh, Katerina. Uh, good morning, everyone, and good afternoon in other parts of Australia. Um, welcome to this uh, webinar. Uh, I'll be running through this um, this report with, uh, along with my colleague Christina. Uh, just a little bit about the team. Uh, Richard, um, as you just saw, um, as the Osra's program manager, uh, the project manager was Hugh McMaster. Unfortunately, Hugh can't be with us today. Uh, myself as the lead on this project, uh, along with Christina, and uh, the technical reviewer was Kieran Sharp. Uh, the review team was the Osroads, uh, uh, started with the Osroads Working Group, which I'll uh, talk a little bit about in a moment, uh, the Osroads Freight Task Force, and then ultimately to the Osroads Board. Okay, so uh, the working group that was assisting in this project from the various jurisdictions you can see there, I'm not going to read them all out. Uh, a great deal of expertise across all of the jurisdictions and in New Zealand and as well as that we had some other members that you can see on the right hand side who were also members of the working group and uh, of note is the, uh, the councils down the bottom. Okay, so the project description I'll start with. Now, the intent of this project was to provide insight into road managers' road access policies and practices through a high-level high level review of assessment of access assessment guidance and tools available. And I emphasise that it was a high-level helicopter view of what is going around the jurisdictions uh, and nationally with New Zealand. Uh, the report was the intent of the report was to form the foundation for. Uh, perhaps some more definitive work in standardising across jurisdictions uh, access approval for heavy vehicles with view to be as seamless, seamless as possible. So delving into the actual scope of works, uh, it was to undertake a review of existing tools used by jurisdictions in Australia and New Zealand as Osroads members to assess and decide uh, on road freight access requests provide a gap analysis between these tools and presenting guidelines to assist road managers, including local governments. And we'll talk a bit more about local governments uh, uh, in, this, um, in this presentation, they're quite important. I prepare a decision-making framework, uh, guidance and a structured central repository to support uh, road managers to efficiently leverage uh, off these existing tools and that will also be talked about a bit more later, um, how that is uh, going to happen. Okay, so it's important to, uh, to outline some things that were out of scope, yet were, were still relevant, obviously, in any assessment of uh, access. And so I just needed to raise them now that whilst they're quite, quite you know, important, um, it was out of scope of this particular uh, review of the assessment tools. And that's, those words they just sort of describe exactly why that was the case. And in the case of bridges and structures, while bridges and structures are part of any road assessment, specific guidance is usually referred to or sourced for stru uh, by structural engineers. 
uh, in other sections of jurisdictions uh, of the state governments and uh, New Zealand. And in some cases, that can be an independent assessor. Third party also is quite important, um, yet it sits outside of the road manager's control. But nevertheless, it is required by road managers to uh, uh, to consider before granting access. So whilst still quite important, um, it, it wasn't technically within this. Now, I uncovered some higher order initiatives that uh, we wanted to talk about, even though, again, they're out of scope, but they do come up as uh, in reoccurring things throughout the report. And that's things that were raised, particularly by uh, local government uh, road managers. And, and there were things like electronic mapping and data sharing, resources for local government. And of course, the, uh, the omnipresent issue of network assessment opposed to individual route assessment. Okay, so the first section that we're talking about today is research. Uh, there's several sections to this. Um, so I'm going to talk about the road manager assessment guidelines and tools, uh, the supporting Australian literature review that was done. Uh, I also make reference to the jurisdiction's heavy vehicle assessment processes, uh, the NTC review, which uh, we could not, um, we really had to address that as well. And of course, Christina did the international literature review that she will touch on uh, a little later. Okay, so the first part was research. And uh, in the report, this is uh, section two and three. So uh, the first thing was to identify those existing road manager access decision-making tools used to make road freight access decisions. Now we uncovered uh, 21 documents uh, from the National Heavy Vehicle Regulator, Australian Jurisdictional Road Agencies, and New Zealand Transport Agency. So the next slide is a bit busy, but uh, it refers to all of those all of those documents that were were done. Now there were other there were some other documents, but uh, they were not necessarily um, we thought it, um, key to that. Now it's important to note there we were talking out of scope and bridges and structures uh, earlier. You do note that there are a couple in there that refer to uh, bridges. So we thought it was still important to have them in there uh, as, as important documents, regardless if they were, they were the bridges and structures assessment was out of scope. Okay, so the research in Australian literature and, and make reference to section 4.3 in the report. Uh, we identified 12 documents and we reviewed uh, 10 of those documents. Uh, also, we reviewed the National Transport Commission Heavy Vehicle National Law Review, which I just alluded to earlier. Again, a bit of a busy slide, and I'm not going to read them out uh, parrot fashion, but it does show those 10 documents. Uh, there were four or five Osros documents and some other ones um, that came uh, that came to light. Uh, one of those which was uh, we thought was quite important was number four, the local government heavy vehicle route assessment guidelines undertaken on behalf of um, NACO and TMR by ARB, and um, and uh, those uh, those chaps were were the authors of that. Now um, that's just been um, uh, uh, released, and uh, that's we thought that was a quite a timely document to have in the assessment, particularly obviously for local government. Okay, now in Appendix D, I did also include the assessment processes that uh, take place in the jurisdictions. So um, whilst again, it was not ex exactly in scope about looking at the assessment documents, it's important to note as part of the wider context of this report that there was um, there were those to, re to report on those particular uh, processes. So, um, I guess one of the things which is not, I guess, surprising is that uh, the processes take into account certain local conditions and jurisdictions. They were largely identical in processes. Okay, I'll just touch on the NTC um, review of heavy vehicle national law. Um, quite, quite relevant um, and contributes to this report. Uh, that's uh, referred to in section 4.4 and then in Appendix D. So, 
as most of you will know, there are there are four key areas that uh, the review is looking at in fatigue management, uh, vehicle standards and safety, uh, safe people and practices and access. And in terms of this report, we believe that access was the most relevant. Okay, so picking up on some of those key themes that uh, the review is currently uh, um, documenting, um, we, the NTC broke the responses down into four following themes. Um, that was access decision-making processes, access decision-making timeframes, vehicle classification systems, road manager challenges and examples for best practice, and uh, we have those subheadings under there of external review, role of data and technology, expanding as of right, access, using the right tools to accelerate decisions, and other access issues not covered uh, in the issues paper. So that was some miscellaneous ones, but some of those are quite pertinent to this report. Okay, I hand over to Christina now. Yep, perfect. Christina, we can see your slides and we can see you, fantastic. Oops. And we can hear you as well. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Drew, and thanks, Ekaterina. Um, good afternoon, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Christina Chin. I'll be taking over the next um, part of the presentation uh, today, and I'll be focusing on the international literature review uh, undertaken for this Osteros project. So um, the focus of the international review um, covers uh, Canada, the European Union, South Africa, uh, and New Zealand. So New Zealand was also included in the international review, even though it was uh, documented in uh, the assessment tools uh, done by Drew. Um, the initial plan uh, when we conducted the uh, international review was to research existing tools used by various overseas jurisdictions and road agencies to assess the their road freight access um, to, to assess their road freight access requ requests. Um, and we were hoping that the search would provide us with a clear direction on their policies and procedural uh, level documentation. Unfortunately, um, very little can be found in this space. So therefore the decision was made to focus on the heavy vehicle access approach using performance-based assessments, or PBS. And these countries, uh, namely Canada, uh, European Union, South Africa, and New Zealand, were uh, chosen, and they have very similar, uh, a lot of similarities to the Australian PBS framework. So let's get started. Canada, Canada is a very large country with um, space out population. They have about 10 provinces and uh, three territories um, in Canada, and each one of them have their own vehicle size and weight regulations. So it's um, it's it's really a big country with um, different regulations to, uh, to be to be covered. Therefore, there was a great need for Canada to harmonise their weight and size dimensions of heavy vehicles operating across Canada to improve consistency of the governing regulations. And therefore, PBS was then uh, introduced as a scheme to harmonize their weight and um, size uh, regulations to assist with provincial regulators. As you can see here in Canada, uh, their road access system is split into two categories. The first category is called the common freight vehicle. And this common freight vehicle, it's uh, based on vehicle parameters um, to create a set of vehicle envelopes to define the general layout of a vehicle, including ranges for certain component variables. I have included a photo um, in this slide just to show you an idea of um, one of the vehicle envelopes. Um, there are a few more of these vehicles uh, uh, diagrams that you can find in the report. And the next category would be uh, the high productivity limited access vehicle, or to, in today's uh, presentation, I'll be referring them to as HPV. These are basically vehicles which uh, do not fall under the first category or they are out of the vehicle envelope. So 
The, uh, this category is meant for the HPVs, uh, once again, outside of the vehicle envelope. Um, and these vehicles operate under a special permit system governed by strict operating conditions in most provinces in Canada. And PBS is used uh, to accept, assess these uh, vehicles. Next, uh, European Union. Somewhat similar to Canada, in Canada we're talking about you know, a large country crossing borders, but in Europe we're talking about international borders, um, but uh, you know, within their own territories itself. So in the EU, there is a great need to allow member state vehicles uh, the accessibility to international transport operation uh, within their own territories and to avoid national operators benefiting from undue uh, advantages over their competitors from local state-based operators when performing national transport operations. And besides that, the EU also has an agenda for uh, greener and lower carbon transportation. So one of the systems used in the EU is uh, shown on the left-hand side of this slide, is called the European Modular System EMS. So EMS was first uh, developed in the 1980s when Sweden and Finland first joined the EU. And what it is, is you can see um, it uses the existing um, combination and it spreads out into um, multiple combinations, just like what you can see in the diagram there. So it uses, uh, it allows your you know, existing loading units into longer, and it could be sometimes heavier vehicle combinations to be used. You know, the load can be spread out. So the key advantage here is it lies in its flexibility for vehicles to adapt to various different situations. So uh, it allows freight operators to work uh, beyond the general limitations that are imposed on road transport uh, vehicles with the condition that the European loading units are used. So, and the EMS has shown to improve road freight transport efficiency and reduces environmental impact. Remember that the EU still has the agenda of uh, a greener and lower carbon transportation. Another system is called the Falcon. And the Falcon is funded by the CEDR, or known as the Conference of European Directors of Road. Um, Falcon is used uh, for uniform cross-border framework for HPV on designated routes and allows the HPVs that are more productive than EMS to make more substantial headway in the reduction of carbon emissions. Once again, they have, still have the agenda of um, greener transportation. This system is closely related to PBS and um, it examines the use of PBS as a mechanism to create freight vehicles with the lower carbon footprint, better safety performance, and compatibility within the infrastructure. Uh, the plan is to formulate a fleet of heavy vehicles combinations carrying modular loading units. The fleet can then be simulated against a wide range of potential performance standards from various countries in EU. The findings from the simulation, um, coupled with expert advice, uh, will then form a draft recommendation for their PBS framework. Uh, the Falcon project is uh, currently still ongoing. South Africa. In South Africa, exemption permits are issued uh, by provincial offices to allow movements of abnormal loads for you know, high productivity vehicles. Unfortunately, due to very high uh, truck fatal crash rates happening in uh, South Africa and breakdowns resulting in deaths and serious injuries, the in freight industry has been encouraged to establish their own sound vehicle management practices. And therefore, the Smart Trucks was, um, was introduced. Smart Trucks is a pilot project based on PBS principles initiated in 2004. And this is led by the CSIR. Uh, the South African government, uh, industry, and academia. The aim of this is to establish sound vehicle management practices, like I've mentioned just now. And um, with after this uh, smart trucks was launched, the South African government 
and Board Authority has found that there has been 12% reduction in fuel consumption and greenhouse gas emission um, because you know, they're more efficient. 13% um, reduction in road wear and tear. But the most important thing is a 39% reduction in road crashes. So this really shows a, a great improvement in their road safety. Uh, the last country that um, I'll be covering uh, today is uh, New Zealand. In 2010, the vehicle dimensions and mass rule in New Zealand was amended to enable the operation of HPV. Um, it basically allows any weight and length combination as long as it is safe and within the limits of existing infrastructure. Um, HPV, basically, they pay more road user charges because of the wear and tear that it inflicts on the infrastructure. Um, however, um, in local government, um, the road maintenance in local government is only funded 50% by RUC or the road user charges. Therefore, you can say that it, uh, these HPVs are less welcomed um, and has less accessibility allowed by local government. So, so to solve this problem, uh, 50 max was introduced. And 50 max has, what is, what is 50 max? 50 max has one more XL than the conventional 44 ton vehicle combinations. So it basically means that the load is spread out. Um, you know, it's, imagine you, it allows bigger trucks, uh, increase loads and uh, reduce the number of trips. So it brings along um, a whole lot of um, benefits such as economic benefits, reduce greenhouse uh, gas emissions, and definitely reduce wear and tear, which is uh, much welcoming news um, to the local government or a lot of road agencies. This concept, 50 max, has been widely accepted by uh, local road authorities, of course, as these vehicles shown less impact on their, on their road. And um, to this day, you can find that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the 50 max vehicles have cover throughout uh, New Zealand road network. And if you're interested to find out more, do visit the NZTA website, New Zealand Transport Agency website, for interactive maps on 50 max uh, and uh, their pro forma, as well as eligibility criteria. The next slide is a very busy slide. I won't go into uh, detail here but it actually, it's a very good uh, summary of a comparison between Australia um, against uh, the other countries that uh, I've covered in uh, the report, as well as in today's uh, presentation. So with this, uh, I end my presentation. Thank you. And I'll pass it over to Drew. Over to you, Drew. Okay. Thank you, Christina, for that. And uh, I'll continue now with the next session of the um, of the presentation, that is the stakeholder consultation. So uh, the consultation was was quite extensive. Uh, first of all, we had a series of interviews with the working group members, and I have to thank the working group members for their support in um, in all facets of uh, developing this report. Uh, very very appreciated. Uh, so what we had to do with the working group members in particular was determine which tools already exist. Uh, capture local experience and or feedback on use, usage of these existing tools. Um, get some sort of understanding on the uh, on the future direction and aspirations of each jurisdiction. And it was also decided to talk to two PBS independent assessors to get their views uh, to have input in. So that is uh, referred to in section 4.5 and the more extensive comments are in Appendix A. And it also refers back to section two as well when we were talking through um, what those particular jurisdictions um, uh, undertook, so uh, quite extensive. Now, besides the extensive interviews, it was decided that we should survey uh, some further uh, local governments uh, from, a, from every jurisdiction in Australia. Um, also, the local government state associations and eight transport associations, and those responses are in um, and in the back in the appendix as well. So, what are some of the key themes that came out of that consultation? Uh, so, I picked out some of the some of the key elements here, but um, 
as I said, have a look at all of the all of the other comments that came through. Uh, they're quite extensive in those sections and the appendix. But let's just go through some of these now. Um, the development of specific tools for particular application type would be beneficial. Uh, developing technical information sheets for education and guidance, particularly for local local government. There is value in pre-approved processes to streamline those approvals. Um, local governments also see merit in standardised processes for assessment. It's uh, very much one of the themes within this report. Some uh, local governments suffer from lack of resources uh, for heavy vehicle applications, and that support would be beneficial. The emergence of new types of vehicles, including PBS, can sometimes make it difficult for local government road managers in particular uh, for accurately assessing uh, permits and in a timely manner. Um, accurate assessment in a timely manner, as I just mentioned. Uh, repetitive assess assessments for some heavy vehicles on the same route as inefficient. So uh, there were some of the key elements that came out of that, but uh, as I said, I encourage you to look at some of those other comments that came back. Okay, we move on to the gap analysis section now. Now, this gap, cell, uh, gap analysis in section five, uh, what we were attempting to do was shine a light on where there were any particular gaps um, and most and notable gaps across the jurisdictions, either within the NHVR regime or, uh, out, or the two jurisdictions that fall outside of the NHVR and also New Zealand. So um, some of the key things that came out of that was uh, the access assessment guidance tools supplied by jurisdictions. Uh, whilst they were comprehensive, uh, we were looking for some more of those, but uh, it just appears that what there was is uh, what, what we got. So that's fine, that's what it was. Additional literature was sourced to complement the jurisdictional material, and I talked about those 10 documents earlier, and we thought that was quite important to actually supplement uh, the access tools, particularly for local, local government. Uh, the next one is the guidance and tools assessed for gaps between juris jurisdictions found that the material was, which you would expect, was similar in nature, but some gaps did exist across classes one, two, and three. But these gaps were not significant. Okay, so there's some key elements here. And of course, notwithstanding that safety is of paramount importance when any assessment is made of heavy vehicle access, but there were some other key areas uh, that, uh, that I grouped these, this uh, analysis into, and we refer to uh, table 5.1 in section five. Uh, so we had five key areas, geometric performance, structural performance, traffic interaction, amenity and freight planning. Now, um, that table is quite long and I'm not going to go through it line by line, but I did thought it was important for this webinar that we pick up some of those subheadings under those particular five um, headings uh, where there are some differences across the jurisdictions. Not great, but nevertheless, there are some. So under geometric performance, uh, for argument's sake, uh, line width uh, to traffic volume is only picked up in four jurisdictions. Uh, acceleration lanes onto main roads and highways is picked up in uh, five jurisdictions. Off-road parking is only in four jurisdictions. Uh, guidance posts and ref guideposts and reflectors is only a criteria in two jurisdictions. Uh, under structural performance, um, there were one of the ones that came up. There wasn't um, wasn't uniform across all of the jurisdictions was pavement capacity and another one was floodways and causeways. Uh, under traffic interaction, only two jurisdictions had uh, consideration of speed restrictions. Uh, three jurisdictions, four jurisdictions had route crash assessment data. Uh, under amenity, uh, two jurisdictions only had emissions as a consideration. Uh, endangered flora and fauna was also a consideration in one jurisdiction. Uh, community consultation was also only in three jurisdictions as a key criteria. Uh, the final one under freight planning, just a, a notable one there was only two jurisdictions asked the operator if there was an alternative mode of transport that they could they could move their, their product on. Uh, so um, as I said, whilst by and large, as you would expect, as I also said, um, they were fairly uniform. There were some notable exceptions and, um, 
and, and they are highlighted in that table. So have a look at that section for more detail. So we moved on to section seven, which is decision-making framework. Now, the way we structured the, uh, the framework was that we, we identified under seven principles for access of assessment decisions as the NHVR undertakes. And I'm not going to read through all of those. Uh, I would think that uh, a, a lot of you would be familiar with those. Uh, but that was sort of the, the starting point for the principles when people are making decisions. Okay, so some key considerations. So we talked about safety as being paramount, and that is up there, to reduce crashes associated with less trips, benefit of advanced technologies, fitter to newer modern vehicles, reduce crashes associated with PBS compliant vehicles, uh, preservation of the, of the infrastructure or the road asset, um, pavement deterioration relative to volume and mass of vehicles on routes, bridges and other structures. And amenity, minimising impact on residential communities, effects on traffic flows and noise generation. So I said there's some of the things that were picked up in those, um, in those, uh, in, in that table. Okay, so you know, overlying all of this is risk management, and the 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 framework identified that if undertaken correctly, it removes ambiguity, enables a balanced approach uh, between improved heavy vehicle productivity and the above principles prioritizes risk treatment options, provides a mechanism to evaluate the level of risk. And you know, risk is omnipresent, we all know. And so uh, again, some of those won't be new to you, but nevertheless, they needed to be documented. Okay, so one of the other things we talked about earlier that the scope of works initially laid out was the repository of guidelines, tools, and other documents where they could be, they could be located in one position and universally accepted. Uh, accessed, I should say, uh, by all road managers. Uh, now, the repository is not going to be at one particular site, and Ekaterina will will um, explain a bit more about this later. Uh, but we have provided um, a sheet with all of those documents uh, and uh, the links to those, so you can access them, and that will be distributed. And Ekaterina, as I said, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Uh, there were some in there that weren't there weren't links to. They were just documents internally within road managers' uh, jurisdictions. But nevertheless, they said that they would be made available. So we'll work through those issues as well. So uh, I guess that second dot point, just finalising that, is that uh, we believe that it will be particularly valuable for local government road managers to access those, not only the guidelines and tools, but also in one place uh, the key the key research documents. Okay, I'll just stop at this point um, and to remind you that um, uh, if you've got any questions to type in here to uh, to do that, and Ekaterina will be compiling those. And I'll just finish off with some findings and uh, outcomes. Excuse me one moment. Okay, so network services. So some of the key findings. So network services versus individual permit assessment. So the project identified that the move for more network-based assessments of routes, particularly local government routes, would reduce the need for repetitive assessment for individual trips. It's particularly the case for class two assessment. It also applies to other classes of vehicles. And some jurisdictions are already moving this way, such as Tasmania and Western Australia. I just want to touch on that just for a little bit. I'm just checking my time, we're going okay. I just want to touch on that just for a little bit. Um, whilst this, this particular document was about identifying what assessment tools and guides and guidelines there are, you can tell from, from this presentation that there were some reoccurring things running in parallel that impact on those particular um, documents. So um, this is why we thought that uh, we needed to raise the network notices versus the individual permit assessment and how that applies to future guidelines and tools. Okay, now I did touch on this earlier, which local government road manager requires some assistance. Um, so Again, some of the things that were raised by local governments was they, they, some local governments simply do not have the resources to accurately assess routes and grant approvals in a timely manner. And they would like them expert 
external support with education and training, particularly involving things like uh, PBS specifications. Um, and it's important for LGs to document uh, procedures and practices. And the last appendix in the report shows an example of that as a handover from one local government road manager to another, particularly where there's only one person undertaking it in a smaller local government. And so that's worthy of having a look at the, at the back of the report. And the other one was better data to match vehicle type to route and more granular level to enable streamlined assessment. So we don't need to talk any more about that because we've uh, we've touched on that several times. Okay, so one of the other things that was arising out of this was the, the potential for the development of a consistent assessment tool, a guidance tool. So basically, while we were saying that there is uh, there are an, a number of the tools out there were, were fairly similar, there were some differences and maybe there could be a view that there could be um, value in developing sometime in the future, a consistent assessment tool for NHVR jurisdictions, but that could also be valuable for the non-NHVR jurisdictions to align with. Okay, so the final slide, and so just some th three points of outcomes. I'm not going through the recommendations as such, they're in the report, but this sort of picks up on those things. So, this report provides jurisdictions the opportunity to identify any gaps in the respective assessment practices and consider harmonising practices with other jurisdictions. That can happen now. Uh, the links to all relevant guidance tools and supporting documents be provided to road managers use. We talked about how they will be on a, uh, through links. Uh, consideration be given to providing support and resources to assist local government to make an informed and efficient decisions. Uh, with those local governments that fall, within the, fall under the NHVR regime. So there were some of the, uh, we, I just wanted to finish on those, those three key points, which was coming out of this report, along with all of the other relevant information that can be accessed as a resource for all local government and uh, jurisdictional uh, road managers. Okay, so I'll hand back to Katerina now. Um, all right, thanks so much, guys, for uh, a very interesting presentation. And we have a bunch of questions. I will first take us to slide uh, 11, where we talked about the project description. Um, and the question is probably to you, uh, Drew. So when undertaking the research in the development of this report, uh, were you aware of any state jurisdictions either using a formula such as a score-based risk assessment metrics tool or alternatively an online uh, assessment tool that is specific to access decision making? Uh, no, the short answer is no, uh, that's not to say that they are not out there, but that wasn't provided to me via the road managers. All right, thank you. Um, I'll stay on this slide. Uh, so the next question is, why this report uh, intended to develop, uh, was this report intended to develop a best practice assessment guidance tool, or perhaps provide guidance to what best practice would be? Uh, now this was uh, this was discussed uh, earlier on uh, when the, the scope was being developed, and it was decided that it was not going to be that. It was this report was going to form the platform, if you like, uh, to for for the consideration of that work to to be undertaken into the future. So it was almost like uh, stage one, I guess, of uh, doing that high level review of all of the documents out there. And some of those key issues that are that are that are swirling around when making those assessment decisions, and then that would form the basis, as I said, for perhaps consideration of a of a uh, best practice uh, assessment guidance tool for uh, NHVR regimes, and uh, perhaps also for uh, the other two regimes that uh, states that are not in the NHVR, as well as New Zealand. Thanks so much, Drew. I will take us to slide. 15, uh, where you talked about road manager assessment guidelines and tools. Um, so there doesn't uh, seem to be many road manager tools identified. So why do you think is that? Um, well, there were 20, there were 21 documents that were that were identified. Um, 
this came through the consultation with the various road managers who supplied their, their various tools. Um, there was some uh, work uh, operation um, um, material that was in-house, which was not provided, but, uh, uh, and that was more internal mechanisms of, of, of assessment, not so much about the guidance material that is out there for road managers and the industry to view about what is required when you're making those assessments. So uh, it is what it is, That's, that were the ones that we identified. Thanks so much. Um, so how do an HVR jurisdictions and uh, non um, HVR jurisdictions compare in the assessment processes? Uh, well, let's use WA as the example. Um, uh, in WA, the main roads uh, has uh, authority over all roads, including local government. So when there is an assessment to be made, uh, then, um, and it, part of that route was in, is on a local government road. Uh, Main Roads Western Australia Heavy Vehicle Services consults uh, extensively with the, with the local uh, government where the road or that section of the route will be going through. Uh, so if it might be a combination of state-based roads, uh, state-owned roads and local government-owned roads. So uh, that is one of the probably fundamental differences between how Western Australia makes due assessment on, on heavy vehicle access uh, when it encompasses um, uh, a combination of state and local government roads. So there's only one, at, at the end of the day, there's only one road manager that is uh, making, granting the approval. But as I said, in, uh, in serious consultation with, with local governments in Western Australia, if they are impacted on. Thanks so much, Drew. And I have a bunch of questions for Christina uh, about the international literature review. So I'll take us to slide eight, uh, 28. Um, so the first question is, so from the review, how close is Australian guidelines to the countries uh, reviewed in terms of similarities and differences? Uh, is there something from um, other countries that Australia can learn from in terms of improving our guidelines? Oh. Um... This, the, the intent of the literature review wasn't to really do a comparison um, to see, you know, uh, on, you know, what, what others, uh, yeah, it's not really to do a comparison. Um, but if you look at uh, the report itself, it covers on how various, uh, the various countries that we've covered here, how they have, um, uh, how how they actually manage their um, accessibility, and you can see that all of them sort of have a, a different agenda. Uh, Australia uses um, PBS uh, in in what some ways, but all the others they some of them use PBS, but some of them they they still have their own uh, permit system. Drew, do you have anything to to add on to that? Yeah, I think just one final thing um, was that uh, when we commence the International Literature Review, we were also very keen to see if we could uh, get some granular reports, as Christian alluded to, uh, you know, perhaps from a province in Canada, similar to a, a state road manager, yep. where we could we could make some some more comparison at perhaps at a at a slightly lower level. Um, it wasn't without trying. We uh, attempted that in all sorts of ways. And uh, the reality was they just weren't out there. Um, uh, Canada in particular, where we thought was probably the most like to like, Christina, with Australia in I terms think, of yeah, and... we, we couldn't compare like apples to apples because they were yep. um, somewhat different. Do yep. you, would you agree with me if I put it that way? Yep. yep. Um, so why only four countries were selected for, uh, for the international review? Um, because, uh, so at the start, um, Drew's mentioned um, as well just now that we, the intent was to look, you know, globally and see whether we can get any more granular procedural um, documents, um, you know, uh, an analysis um, to provide, you know, policy or procedural type documents that we can find. Um, but we couldn't really get anything sort of so concrete. And so we decided that, um, 
let's go on perhaps a path on um, PBS and see what other countries have done. And so these four have come up um, to be um, have selected to be to have very um, similar to have a lot of similarities with um, the Australian um, PBS framework. So that's the reason why we decided on these four. We've even tried to look at um, America, but really um, very little was found in, in that space. I see. Yes, there were um, other countries looked at, but they weren't, uh, they, they sort of didn't provide any any relevant mm. material pertinent to this, um, this report. Mm. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Drew. Um, Another question in relation to uh, the international literature review. So there is a much road manager um, assessment level tools rather than higher level assessment issues internationally. Why do you think is that? Uh, well, we just discussed that uh, really, didn't we, Christina? Yeah. Sorry, uh, Drew, you broke up. We, we, we sort of touched on that just uh, in the previous question about yeah. um, about you know we were looking for that uh, specifically and uh, mm. it just wasn't to be. I see. Uh, thank you. We will then move on to the next question. I'll take us to slide 35, uh, gap analysis. So the question here, um, did the authors, uh, did you consider uh, the impact at passive level crossings uh, along the route being analysed? Um, Look, to be honest, I can't I can't recall that specifically. Uh, it was it was quite extensive that we looked at, and uh, then we divided into those five uh, categories, and then underneath that we uh, we divided that down again. So um, I'll have to take that question on notice because I I can't answer that exactly now. Okay, um, we. We have a bunch of questions and if we don't answer them uh, during this live session, we will then prepare our response in writing and uh, send it to every participant. Um, I'll take us to slide 38 for our next question then. Um, so our participant is saying that lately we have many complaints from the residential area to ban uh, heavy vehicles from from their local area so amenity is crucial do you have any guidance related to this well the the tools that the tools that we looked at where they where they considered they're saying you need to you need to take into account amenity and particularly the impact on residential communities is basically that they have to they will assess what that outcome is now so to give you one example um, it could be that there is an, an application for um, uh, a number of trucks to go past um, uh, a school, for argument's sake, uh, let's say in a rural uh, community. Now, there's no other route and that and they'll have to go through there. But what they can do is they can mitigate that uh, in consultation with the with the um, with the the operator and say that, well, at certain times of the day, namely, say, when school is is starting and school is ending that there'll be periods where the trucks will not be permitted to be through there. So I guess when you're talking about amenity, there needs to be a, you need to be mindful of the impacts on the community, but at the same time, seek solutions about how that can, how they can operate, uh, but take into account uh, those things. So that one about the, about the, uh, the school also touches on a, on a safety issue as well as amenity. Thanks, Drew. Um, on to the next question then, uh, slide 39. Um, so from your research, what are uh, what do you think are the barriers and enablers towards um, adopting an objectively quantified risk assessment uh, tool in heavy vehicle access decision making? Uh, well, we've got five minutes to go. I'm not quite sure if I can answer that now. Um, um, I you know, if I could take that one on notice to give a a, a reasonable answer to, uh, rather than um, just talk about that in a in a minute or so. 
Oh, right. Uh, then let's do uh, another question, slide 43. Um, so are we heading uh, towards the network notices approach in, uh, in the near future compared to the current time um, consuming approach of individual route assessment, which is a challenge for uh, councils uh, with limited resources? Well, it's not for me to say if we are heading towards that or not. What what this report identifies is that there is a uh, there is a relationship between, uh, particularly for class two, there is a relationship between moving to a network based uh, um, uh, assessment process uh, and move away from, particularly uh, individual ones. Now, there's a whole lot of arguments around that, and we all know what those discussions have been about through. The NTC review and you know for a long time. I think the question needs to be needs to be a sort of pose that um, network on one hand network um, network wide um, assessments um, are good in the sense that it, it it narrows down the amount of time required, particularly for local governments, to keep continually um, processing uh, individual permits. There's another side to it as well, is that there can be an argument to say that if an, if one particular vehicle configuration or combination uh, gets approval for that, then if another operator comes along and they require the same type of, um, they have the same combination type vehicles, then it's already been approved once. So therefore, as long as there's not any untoward uh, or, you know, uh, unusual circumstances, then that particular uh, permit can be approved at the same time based on the on the fact that there has already been uh, an assessment made. Um, clearly there are efficiencies and in the industry would like to move to a network a network based operation. I know in Western Australia uh, their rev network is uh, is moving is quite extensive in terms of a network based operation. Uh, so um, look at the end of the day uh, it it, it shows that there is some efficiencies to be gained. Uh, the issue is, particularly for local councils, is that um, uh, what that might do to their particular infrastructure and their assets in their, in their, in their, within their own boundaries. So um, are we moving towards that? Uh, well, that would be an observation of mine that we might be, but uh, I can't definitively say if we should be moving towards that or not. There are advantages and there could be some disadvantages, but uh, that can be, I guess, worked through through the NHVR and others. Um, that's, I, I think, all I can say about that in terms of an observation. Thanks so much, Drew. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned uh, time. We have a couple of minutes left, so I will just take one uh, last question. Um, and will take us to slide 44. Um, so the report also identified uh, that local government road managers don't have the resources to sometimes make timely assessments. So uh, how do you think would this be achieved? Uh, look, it, um, it's, it's not for me to actually identify exactly how that will be done. What I identified within the report was that came up through the extensive consultation and uh, and the pressures that are placed on local councils to make those decisions. Um, how that is done, we talked about some particular um, uh, things that could be could be undertaken. So more data uh, mapping, um, um, uh, educational uh, tools, and all the rest. Of it. Who actually provides that? I'm not prepared to say because that was not my role, and and, and would be. It, it would not be appropriate for me to say that. All I said was in the report that this has come up and it was a reoccurring theme, and so I identify that and I shone a light on it. Uh, how that is addressed uh, is something for other other people and other agencies to to uh, pursue. Thanks so much, Drew. Um, well, I think uh, that brings us to the end of the Q and A and the end of uh, our session today. I'm just going to share my camera as well. Um, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for your uh, very interesting presentation.
Um, uh, it was great to have you here with us today. Thanks so much to all of our participants and your questions. Uh, we have a few questions that we didn't have time to answer. Uh, there will be a written response prepared and we'll distribute it to all uh, participants. Also, if you sort of uh, feel like you have a question that you want to ask uh, after the webinar, just email it to me. Um, on slide two of uh, this presentation, there is my email address. Just send it through uh, and I will pass it on to Drew to answer. Um, so I think we will close uh, here. I'm just gonna take us to the final um, slide um, here. Um, so when we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know uh, what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Uh, so thanks again to everyone. Thanks, Drew and Christina. Um, I'm going to end the webinar, and uh, I wish you all stay safe and well, and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.